Hi, my name is Andy Chamberlain. I'm a writer and creative writing tutor, and you are listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. And welcome to episode 70 of the podcast. This is not my interview with Ian McDonald. I'm still doing the final edits on that. So instead, in this episode, I want to give you some practical examples of all of the insights we've looked at from the last few episodes in creating setting. I'm going to give you three very different story settings so that you can see how these ideas and insights that I've discussed can be applied in three very different genres. First of all, I did want to mention to you again the 2016 Lake School of Writing, a one-week residential course in the Lake District in England that I I'm going to be running as part of the first page courses team. This year the course runs from 31st October to 4th November and we're going to be focusing on the genre of crime writing. We're delighted to have award-winning author Mari Hanna joining us this year and Mari is the author of the Kate Daniels series and her work has recently been optioned for TV. We're also going to be looking at how you can build an audience through blogging with local Lakes blogger Beth Pipe and also how you can build an author platform with another crime writer Wendy H. Jones who's author of the Shona McDonald series. We're going to have a great week. There'll be lots to learn and you'll get a chance to have your work critiqued by one of the resident tutors. If you're a listener to the Creative Writers Toolbelt and you come along, I promise I can spend some one-to-one time with you reviewing your work and helping you to develop your writing and as a writer. So whatever genre you're writing in, please do join us. You can drop me a line at andrew at andrewjchamberlain.com for more details or go to our website, which is firstpagecourses.com and I hope to see you there. So let's get back to what I'm going to be showing you in these three examples of setting and world building in this episode. In these examples, look out for the techniques and insights that we've been covering over the last few episodes. And in summary, first of all, creating a really compelling setting is about striking a balance between being both credible and immersive. Secondly, the best way to present aspects of setting is to use sparse and specific detail in your description. That's a scattering of very precise details that place the reader into that setting. Thirdly, use sensory language to really immerse the reader in the environment that you're creating. And that can be whatever is seen or heard or touched or tasted or smelt. Fourthly, the main components of character are character essence and goal motivation and passion. And these can actually influence the setting and enrich and define it. Fifth thing, we've looked at different aspects of research. So look out for the ways in these examples in which research can help to define the big aspects of the universe you're creating. Technology, economy, social, religious, historical trends and political context. And then also look out for how research can be developed to create the raw material for those sparse and specific and sensory details that can really immerse the reader. In episode 60 of the podcast with my guests, Nisi Shawl and Daniel Jose Older, I discussed the importance of really showing respect to people who we're interviewing for research. Look out for examples of that in my three settings as well. Six, setting can be informed by the common tropes of a genre. So for example, the space opera subgenre of science fiction tends to include aliens, possibly also alien spaceships. Ghost stories, as another example, have unsolved murders and often dark or claustrophobic environments. Point seven. In episode 65, I talked about the magpie and the compost heap. Now that is how as writers, we can behave a little bit like magpies by keeping a sharp eye out for interesting and unusual facts. And also the compost heap idea comes from this good habit of taking those ideas, taking things which we just come across in life and letting them settle and mature in our minds for weeks, sometimes months or years until we need them. Finally, look out for examples of how the power of setting can be developed by aligning the setting with style and voice in your work. 
So those are all the things to look out for. And the three examples I'm going to present to you are, first, a historical dramatization of the events around the gunpowder plot of 1605. Second, the story of the discovery of an alien starship. And third, a ghost story set in a university library. Let's take the gunpowder plot story first. At this point, I want to acknowledge Tim Lambert of the website localhistories.org as the primary source of general information for this example. Now, in any story with a historical context, the credible requirement of setting relies on good, solid research. So I start by researching the big themes I mentioned earlier, social, religious, and political context, for example, and I can then focus my research on the specific events of the story. So let's suppose that my research unearths the following information. Most people in England at this time, we're talking about 1604, 1605, were Protestants, but there was a sizable minority of Catholics. And those Catholics were subject to discrimination and persecution. Catholic priests were in fact suspected of being foreign agents and executed. Some years before that, in 1570, the Pope had excommunicated Queen Elizabeth I and said that her people didn't need to obey her. Now, most Catholics still did, but were subject to suspicion. Some 30-odd years later, when King James came to the throne, Catholics hoped that he would ease the persecution that they'd been suffering, but they were disappointed. Now, this is what Tim Lambert of localhistories.org says about this time and what happened. The Catholic people of Britain hoped that James would treat them better. After all, his wife, a Danish woman, was a Catholic. They were soon disappointed. At first, James stopped the fines for non-attendance at Protestant Church of England services. However, two failed Catholic plots in 1603 alienated the king, and he reinstated the fines in 1604. Nevertheless, most Catholics remained loyal to James and would not take part in any violence. There were, however, a small number who would. Among them were Robert Catesby and his friend Thomas Percy also Thomas Winter and John Wright, and the most notorious of all of these plotters was a soldier named Guy Fawkes. The five men met in May 1604. They discussed a plan to blow up Parliament using gunpowder. In March, Thomas Percy began renting a house next to the Houses of Parliament. Guy Fawkes was made caretaker of this house. It included a cellar underneath the House of Lords, and in that cellar the plotters hid barrels of gunpowder. The barrels were hidden behind firewood. Parliament was due to meet on the 5th of November 1605 and the plotters were planning to ignite the gunpowder then and meanwhile other people were drawn into the conspiracy. But on the 26th of October 1605, William Parker, Lord Monteagle, received an anonymous letter warning him not to be present in Parliament when it met. Monteagle was a prominent Catholic lord, but he took the letter to Robert Cecil, the Earl of Salisbury and one of the King's ministers. The government now knew that the plot existed. On the 4th of November 1605, they searched the Parliament buildings, including the cellar under the House of Lords. They discovered a suspiciously large amount of firewood. A second search was conducted around midnight, and this time they found Guy Fawkes. He was tortured and eventually confessed the whole plot. Now that's given me some context, and it will help to make my setting credible because it's based on historical facts of the time. And from this basis, I can then focus on the detail, the encounter between Lord Monteagle and Earl Salisbury, and the subsequent search of the cellars under Parliament that revealed the plot. And as I start to focus on the specific events, I can switch the balance of the setting from the need to be credible to the need to be immersive. I could start to think about these more detailed micro issues like this letter that Lord Monteagle received. What did it say? What was it written on? How was it delivered? What was Monteagle's position in the House of Lords? What was the relationship between him and the Earl of Salisbury? Now, some historians believe that Monteagle created the letter himself to win favour from the king. I can decide in my story whether that's true 
or whether to introduce another character who sent the letter. Then we have the scene where Monteagle and Salisbury actually meet. How did that conversation play out? Where did it happen? I can use my imagination to create the conversation itself and also the environment, the room, the details in it. Maybe the Earl of Salisbury had a desk. What was on that desk? What was the decor in the room? What was the atmosphere like? When the story switches to Parliament, I can think about the details of the layout of Parliament. How would that search have been conducted? Imagine, for example, the cellars under Parliament. What would they have been like? What could you see? Was it very dark? It probably was dark. What could you hear? Voices? Rats, maybe? And what about the gunpowder when it was found? And Guy Fawkes, what was he doing? What did the place look like? What did it smell like? Did the gunpowder actually have a smell? Then we can think about the characters. What was this Guy Fawkes like? What was the the essence of his character and what were his goals, motivations and passions? What were Monteagle's motives? What kind of person was he? If my story was told from Lord Monteagle's point of view, I could use the character essence and the goals and motivations that he has in the context of who he was as a prominent British Catholic Lord to create the setting and drive the story. So that's my first example. Now let's move on to the next setting. And for this, we're going to completely switch genres from historical drama to science fiction and the subgenre of space opera. And in this story, I'm imagining that the human crew of an exploratory vessel out in space have come across an alien starship, which seems to be abandoned. Now, from here, I could take the plot in any number of directions. The ship itself might not be deserted. This might be, in fact, a trap of some kind. Or perhaps the ship is deserted, but it has a mind of its own and intentions of its own, whether they're benign or malevolent. Or perhaps the ship is genuinely deserted, but offers insights and adventures to those who can find it. Now, we have a setting that is not bound by history, and that in itself presents opportunities and challenges. With the genres that explore the fantastic, so I'm thinking about science fiction as here, or weird fiction, or fantasy, there's a need to be careful about maintaining credibility. So, for example, in my story, I can use my imagination to create all kinds of things. Maybe the ship, the alien ship, possesses a technology which means that a visiting human ship, or any kind of other human ship, can simply pass into its docking bay without any obvious door, or barrier, or shield. And that would be fine. But it won't be credible for me to make any factual errors in the science of my world. So, for example, I can't make the mistake of saying that Mars is nearer to the sun than Earth, or that maybe the star Proxima Centauri is a hundred light years away, when in fact it's about four light years away. These sorts of errors destroy the power of the setting to be immersive and convince the reader. Now, there should be plenty of opportunity in this story for me to use my imagination and to create and reinforce the immersive element of the setting. Here is a good example of where I need to make sure that I maintain credibility, principally by making sure that my science and technology is correct. I can use different ideas, images and themes that I've picked up over the years, together with my imagination, to create the specific and sensory detail that I need to present the setting. For example, I can describe what the crew see, the alien technology, the sounds on the ship. If it has a breathable atmosphere, I can then start to talk about the smells of the ship, the feel of the surfaces, the texture of the environment around it, the architecture and layout. I can describe temperature and humidity and its impact on that environment. I could go into some detail about the ship's propulsion systems and other elements of that ship, but I need to make sure that I don't make the mistake of giving the reader an info dump. I need to keep the description sparse and tight and specific. Of course, there's no need for the aliens who crewed this ship to be the same size and scale and shape as humans. I can immerse my readers in an incredibly bizarre setting where everything is a different scale. But to make it credible, that means that I need to keep it consistent. Chairs, tables, control panels, sleeping quarters, medical bays, communal areas, 
all would be scaled up for these aliens and all would be designed for their physiology. If I want to emphasize the alien nature of the ship, I could perhaps speculate that this is a ship that has no communal spaces at all. Maybe in this story, I'm experimenting with a race that simply do not need proximity to each other as humans do. And I can combine my magpie and compost heap habits and draw on some of the things that I've come across over the years. As an example of this, I can remember being fascinated by the ideas of the designer H.R. Geiger. He's the person who designed the aliens from the film and book franchise of that name. Now, these concepts were developed way back in 1978. As a magpie, I've collected those images and I can now draw on them from the compost heap area of my mind, not to copy or plagiarize them, but to mix them with other ideas and my imagination to help inform the setting of this ship. And as I come to think about how the setting would work with the style and voice of this piece, I might decide this is going to be a hard piece of science fiction. That is that I'm going to keep the setting and the voice very objective. I'm going to focus on the facts, on the science, on the technology of the environment. And so the flavor of my story, the voice and style of it would lend itself to these aspects. Now, a really good example of setting and voice working together in just this way is in McDonald's book, Lunar New Moon. The voice in that book is deliberately lean and hard and direct. And this is a deliberate artistic decision by the author to reflect the harshness of the setting, the barren moon, in the voice and style of the work. So that's our alien ship. Now let's move on to the third and final setting. And for this one, I've chosen, again, a completely different genre and a completely different environment. The genre is a classic ghost story and the environment is a place that I have a little bit of knowledge of, the Library of the University of Cambridge. It's a classic tale of haunting, so the setting will include some of the tropes from that genre. Again, if I start with my research, maybe on this occasion I can interview some staff at the library and I can remember to be respectful of their time and their contribution. And in that, I'm taking advice that I got from Nisi Shaw and Daniel Jose Older in episode 60 of the podcast. Most of the story is set in the library itself, and as I start to think about that space, I can focus on the detail of the description. If we take the books, for example, that are in abundance there, we can think about some of the qualities that books have, their feel, their smell, the words on the page, the feel of the page itself, books opening and closing, the sounds they make. All of these things give me ample opportunity to create the specific and sensory detail that can immerse the reader. I can also use specific and sensory description with other aspects, thinking about the university when it's closed, the quality of the silence in the place, the scale of the bookcases, their height, the way they create narrow corridors and shadows, which are in keeping with the tropes that, I would, that would be expected in this genre, the smell of the books, the smell of the polished wood of the floor. Maybe I can create a unique environment in one of the rooms. Perhaps there's a bookbinding room that I can use. Think about what might be in there, the tools that people use for bookbinding, the components of a book. Because I know this environment a little bit, I can use the magpie habit I have of collecting and using the features of the place, the specific lighting in the entrance hall, the plaques naming former benefactors on the staircase once you're into the library, the inquiry desk on the first floor, the color and feel of the reservation slips. Now I can blend all of these aspects with my imagination to use the kind of description that I need to immerse the reader. I can then give my setting and the story context by seeding in information about the ghost. Why is it there? What are its purposes? The ghost, in fact, can be treated as another character, and therefore we can think about those principal components that I've talked about. What is the essence of this ghost? What is its personality such as that exists? What are its goals, motivations, and passions? I can then weave that into the setting and bring in my protagonist, perhaps there's somebody who needs to identify who this ghost is. What is their essence? What is their agenda? 
thinking about the ghost, maybe this is the ghost of somebody who was murdered in the library. I can then think about the specific location when they were murdered. I can think about who the murderer was, what their motives were, and also the specific description of the murder location. Maybe there are still faint stains of blood. Maybe there are scratches. Maybe there are marks. Maybe I can use some of the binding tools from book binding room as murder weapon. And as I've already suggested, I can use the common trope in ghost stories of dark, shadowed or claustrophobic environments to great effect in a library. So my research and my experience of the library itself helps me to create the sparse and specific and sensory description that I need to create these particular environments and to enrich the setting of my story. So let's draw all this together now. I've sketched out very quickly three different settings, three very different genres. And I hope these examples have shown you how by using some of those guidelines that I've talked about after, over the last few podcasts, you really can present a compelling and immersive setting. Let's summarize those principles again. First of all, in creating a compelling setting, you're striking a balance between being credible and being immersive. And the best way to present those aspects of setting is to use sparse and specific description, a scattering of very precise details that place the reader into that setting. Thirdly, you use sensory language to really immerse the reader. What can they see? What can they hear, touch, smell, taste? Fourthly, in the past, I've said that the main components of character are character essence and goal, motivation and passion. These can influence the setting and enrich and define it. Fifth thing, we've looked at different aspects of research, looking out for ways in which research can help to define the big aspects of the universe and the world of building, technology, economy, social, religious and political and historical trends, and also how you can then zero in on some of the very particular micro details which you can present using sparse, specific and sensory techniques. In the podcast, we've also discussed the importance of using respect in our approach to interviewing people for research. Sixth thing, setting can be informed by the common tropes of the genre. So for example, in my space opera subgenre, I've used the very common tropes of aliens and starships and brought that in. In the ghost story, unsolved murders, dark and claustrophobic environments. Seventh thing, I've talked about the magpie and the compost heap. That was from episode 65. Those habits of picking up useful little bits of information and keeping them in your mind and letting them mature and then bringing them out with your imagination when they're needed. All of these things can help to create a really vibrant and believable and immersive setting. Finally, looking out for examples of how the power of your setting can be developed by aligning it with the style and voice of your work. So that's all for now. In this episode, I've quoted from the website localhistories.org run by Tim Lambert, and I've also referred to the art of H. Geiger. And I've also used aspects of the layout of the library at the University of Cambridge. I'll get some show notes up on Pinterest for this episode. We do have a group at Goodreads. You can just go to goodreads.com, look up the creative writers tool belt there, or you can go to my website, andrewjchamberlain.com. Please do drop me a line and let me know what you're working on. The next episode should be my episode with Ian McDonald. I'll get that out as soon as it's available. Do check out the Lake School of Writing week that we're having that I've mentioned earlier. You can drop me a line for more details on that. It's andrew andrewjchamberlain.com or you can go to the First Page Courses website, firstpagecourses.com. So that's it for now. I hope this has been useful to you. And until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye. <music>